Hey everybody, this is episode 133 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas for this intro. Actually releasing this podcast a day late on a Monday. The weekend got the best of me and I was not able to put this out. So my apologies for that. So hopefully you weren't missing me too much. But just just for about 24 hours or so. And we will get this up. I've I've got a great a great interesting guest today, Jason Fitzgerald, who is the author and podcaster associated with Strength Running, and he has been doing this for a lot longer than I have, at least in terms of uh, a blog on strength focused running, but also a little bit longer on the podcast side as well. He recently had me on his show to talk about rogue training principles and now i've got him on my show to to talk in particular about strength training for runners and how to get the most out of that to be your fastest and best running self so we'll get to a conversation with jason in just a minute i've got some intro topics though to get to three of them First of all, we need to talk about the NCAA championships, which went off this past weekend in Austin, Texas. I unfortunately was not able to get out to it because I had a couple different things going on this weekend myself with family and some other obligations. And so wasn't able to watch any of it in person, but did get to catch the highlights and catch some of the events live on the streaming service, which it was all streaming via ESPN3. And you got to see a lot of the events there in their entirety. So shout out to ESPN for providing that coverage. couple highlights. One that happened earlier in the week is that Mondo Duplantis, the pole vaulter we've talked about on this show, who pole vaults for Sweden and set an NCAA record earlier in the season, he actually lost and finished, ended up finishing second in the NCAA pole vault this past week which was a huge surprise i guess you could say and and chris nielsen from south dakota actually defended his title to win the pole vault beating duplantis by a couple of inches ultimately mondo just didn't have the meat he expected he ended up second but fell about eight inches short of his ncaa record that he set earlier in the season so just didn't have it on the day and was not able to secure the NCAA title that he coveted and then just announced today I saw that he is turning pro. So won't be back at LSU next year. We'll be heading to the pro ranks to compete with the best of the best and I would assume compete for a gold potentially next summer in Tokyo. So we'll have to watch that as it progresses. But Mondo surely has a bright future ahead of him as he's shown already. Didn't get what he wanted this past week but second place is still pretty damn good so hats off to Mondo and hats off to him for pushing that group to new heights in in NCAAs we'll see how he does as a pro so that was one highlight second one that was fascinating race and actually watched this race on streaming was the men's steeple there was absolute chaos in the men's steeple as the pace the pace picked up at the end and you had one athlete, Dan Mikulski from Indiana, leading, and he made a move in the second-to-last lap to take the lead. Ended up making it to the final water jump, had probably a 
three meter or so lead going over the last water jump with 150 meters to go and totally ate it over the last water jump ended up wet and off to the side of the track was able to pick himself up to finish in seventh but he was passed by Stephen Fahey from Stanford a senior who came around him after the fall and then fell himself on the final hurdle but was able to regain his feet and still hold on for the win after a really really dramatic final lap in the men's steeple if you haven't seen that i would highly go i would highly recommend that you look it up go google it and at least catch that last that last lap as it was absolutely crazy and dynamic as Mikulski fell over the water pit Fahey fell over the final hurdle but still recovered to get the win so that was a crazy crazy finish and then you just had tons of fast times across the board particularly in the sprints at the meet you had uh, the 100 meter on the, on the men's side was one in a 9.86 the 1500 meter on the women's side was one in the second second fastest collegiate 1500 ever in a 405 and change and so even though it was a hot hot day on friday and saturday those big days for the meet there were lots of fast times which i did do actually think played to the advantage of the sprinters and so would highly go would highly recommend you go check out some of the the highlights from the ncaa's in the team competition you actually had texas tech get their first national title so shout out to the Texas team there. And then on the women's side, Arkansas women actually came back to get the the women's title in what was a crazy head-to-head battle with USC and ultimately going into the final event, the 4x400, which is always the, f- the, the final event in these team competitions. USC and Arkansas were tied going into that last event, so high drama for it. But the USC team actually dropped the baton and was therefore disqualified from the 4x4. So Arkansas continued on to get the team win for the women. And so lots of exciting stuff there. Would Again, highly recommend, highly recommend you go check out some of the highlights there, especially that men's steeple, as I mentioned. Secondly, got to talk about the U.S. 10k road champs for the women associated with the new york roadrunners mini 10k this past weekend which is an all women's 10k and you had the elites going off at the front with a field of 28 americans that were battling for the u.s 10k road title really exciting race you had a pretty stacked field across the board and ended up being down to five women after a couple of miles Emma Bates, Steph Bruce, Sarah Hall, Alephine Tulliamuk, and Sally, Sally Cabiego. Laura Thweet actually kind of came back after the second mile to make it a group of six that were pushing for the win. And apparently there was, I just saw some highlights, but apparently that lead pack was kind of taking turns, pressing at the front with... Emma Bates doing a lot of work, Steph Bruce, Laura Thweet doing a lot of work, Tilly Muck doing some work. So everybody kind of battling it out at various points to try to break the others. And and then it came down to three for a kick finish with Sarah Hall getting the win 
after a tough Boston result where she didn't have her day. Steph Bruce, who was trying to defend her title from Peachtree last year, ended up second, getting out kicked at the end. And then Sally Kipiego got third to get on the podium after DNFing at Boston and start to regain some of her form. As I mentioned in my Boston preview, Sally is definitely a runner to look out for who I think has a chance to make that marathon team next year in Atlanta. But shout out to Sarah Hall for the overall win. Really unbelievable. She keeps showing up and doing big things and now has shown just absolutely incredible range. In terms of U.S. road champs, she's won the road mile, the marathon, and now the 10K, the 10 mile, the 20K. She's won a U.S. cross title. She can do it all, and to be able to do it all with the range she's shown in her career is really, really impressive. So shout out to Sarah Hall. I mean, she's a, she's a dark horse, I think, for the U.S. marathon team, and I'm definitely going to be rooting for her. So hopefully we can see her continue to build towards Atlanta next year. Also, again, shout out to Steph Bruce. I mean, just keep showing up. Is training for the U.S. Track 10K coming up here later in June. And I think, as I've said, she's going to make a marathon. I think she'll make the Olympic team either in the marathon or the 10K. Just keeps, keeps doing big things even as she's aging in this sport. So shout out to Steph Bruce for another solid result here getting second. And then Sally Cabiego. Dark horse, another dark horse for the Olympic team in the marathon. Starting to show that she's putting the pieces together here with this third place in the 10K. She has said that her sole focus is Atlanta next February as I talk to her at Boston. And so it's good to see her bounce back from a DNF there. And I am optimistic that big things will be coming from Sally and hopefully she can put it together by Atlanta. We will see. So... That's the U.S. Women's Road 10K. You also had in the field Jordan Hesse, who did not have a good day. She just mentioned that it was a, her legs were heavy and they haven't been feeling good coming back from Boston, which is certainly no surprise. Emily Sisson was also in this field, or supposed to be in this field, as we mentioned in my interview of her last or a few, a few weeks ago. But she decided not to take the starting line. So I assume she just didn't feel like her legs were ready enough after London, which totally makes sense as she prepares for the 10K on the track coming up later this month. So a couple of big names who either didn't show up at the start or who didn't do as well, but no surprises there given their recent results. And I think no, nothing to worry about there as well. So that was the uh, U.S. 10K Women's Road Champs. And then the last thing I have to mention, which is on a a more somber note, is that Gabe, Gabe Grunewald, who is the U.S. athlete who's been battling cancer, I think she's faced cancer now four times, maybe even, maybe even on her fifth time. She's a U.S. middle distance athlete that specializes in the 1500 and the 3000. She's also the athlete that helped Chip Gaines of Chip and Joanna Gaines fame train for his first marathon in the silo marathon that they started last year, I believe. Maybe it was two years ago. Her husband announced on his Instagram yesterday, which you can follow if you just simply look up Justin Grunewald, 
announced that they had moved her to comfort care and that she was in her 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 final days most likely as her as her health has taken a turn for the worst here recently it looks like she's not going to make it very much longer and so he got on Instagram and called for those that love and support Gabe to send their last respects and hopefully have an opportunity for Gabe to read those things and so if you follow Gabe Grunewald or Justin Grunewald on Instagram and or the those around her in the pro running ranks there's been just an outpouring of support that have has come over the last 24 hours or so from all corners of the running world and people talking about the inspiration that Gabe brought to them in her battle in her fight and journey through cancer and it looks like she's on the last legs of that but somebody who has faced it with such joy and purpose and without fear the hashtag brave like Gabe is a representation of that and she also started started an organization called brave like Gabe to raise money for cancer research and particularly the rare form that she was facing and so it looks like she's on her her final lap so to speak and that's definitely sad news for the running community and for those that have been inspired by her but i would encourage you to go look up the hashtag brave brave like gabe look up gabe on social and just see the outpouring of support that she's getting in terms of all the different ways that she has inspired people through her journey over the last several years it's really really powerful and inspiring to see also sad of course but it's amazing to see someone who has who has faced such tough tough obstacles live through that in the way that she has and face it fearlessly and face it with with joy and still trying to to do her best to fight every every step and i know that there's a lot of people out there that fall in the same camp that don't have the spotlight on them that gabe has and their inspirations as well but but i have to give just a special shout out to gabe for her inspiration in the running community and what she's done to inspire so many of us so if gabe has been an inspiration for you then this is an opportunity in what could be her final days to send a message of encouragement to her husband and a message of paying final respects and sharing the inspiration maybe you've gotten from her through her journey here as as the final laps of her journey begin so that's a somber note to end on for this intro but i think the one one that's important for us all to not only appreciate what we've had in the light that she's brought to our world but also to to pull in and remember the lessons that she's brought to us about what and how to face obstacles as they come and so for me watching her has been just a reminder that when tough things come your way you can still face them with joy and you can still still live a full life even through those things so I wanted uh, to also send my thank you and respects to Gabe and hopefully you can as well so with that as a final note 
of this intro, wanted to turn to my interview today with Jason Fitzgerald. Again, Jason Fitzgerald is the author and podcaster associated with Strength Running. I've had lots of questions about what to do with strength training for runners, and Jason is somebody who has made that a life's passion to share with the world, and I'm excited to talk to him about it, including what types of strength training you should be doing, how frequently, what moves to consider, how to work that into your overall running schedule, how to periodize it depending on when your your key race is, and then we get to other supplemental elements too, like stretching and, and, and dynamic warm-up as well. And so we get to a lot of different topics around strength and supplemental training for runners, and hopefully through this you can learn a few things to become the best athlete you can be to be the fastest runner you can be. So without further ado, let's bring Jason on. Welcome Jason Fitzgerald to the show. How are you doing today, Jason? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for having me as well. I was on your podcast recently and and that for those that will listen, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes is actually posting tomorrow as we record this on June 6th. So we'll, we'll make sure that people can see both both links, which is exciting. You were talking to me about, I don't know, all, all, all the things about training from, from the rogue perspective, which was fun. And now we get to talk to you about training from the strength the strength perspective, which is really, really good stuff. I wanted to start, though, by just getting a little bit on your background as an athlete. So how did you get into running? Were there other things before that? You know, what was your journey like in this sport? Sure. And and again, let me just say thanks for having me on. I feel like this is our second conversation. I made it to the second date. So <laughs> this is going to be a good one. Yeah. Um, so I started running as a freshman in high school. I tried out for the cross country team and I actually went into it not liking running whatsoever. You know, in middle school, I was the kid during track and field week who was show- throwing the shot put. So you can imagine, you know, 110 pound Jason trying to throw a shot put, avoiding all of the running events like the plague. And I actually really enjoyed the high jump. For some reason, little 4'11 Jason was able to clear, <laughs> nice. uh, you know, second place in the school in the high jump. And when it came to a fall sport in high school, my mother said, why don't you try cross country? It's like track. So I said, okay, I'll go high jump. <laughs> well, I showed up and quickly learned that there's only a very lot of running in cross country. <laughs> right. But, you know, the, the coach was really great. And the teammates that uh, I just kind of fell into were so fun and made running such a blast that I got hooked really early on uh, the progress that you experience in running. And, you know, just the, the you know, watching your times decrease race after race, you know, as a new runner is just so exciting. And, and you look forward into the future and you think, wow, my future is so bright as a runner. You know, you see the guys who are juniors and seniors and they're running incredible times and you think, well, I'm just going to do what they've always done. And so it was very uh, a positive experience for me. And I came to running from a basketball background. That was kind of my first love. But, you know, my uh, my friends kept growing between eighth grade and, and freshman year in high school, and I really didn't. So I had to make a hard decision <laughs> to uh, abandon basketball as a freshman and go out for indoor track. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't really a hard decision at the time because I just fell so hard for running during those first couple how months. Tall, how tall were you just as a quick interlude as a freshman in high school? 
Oh, I'd, I'd have remember? to go back and, and try to figure that out, but not very tall. I'm only five foot seven right now. Okay. I was five feet tall as a freshman in high school, which I, I felt the same way as you. I remember trying out for the basketball team and they almost laughed at me because it was, <laughs> it was a little bit embarrassing. But anyway, brief yeah, interlude. That's, that's where I was at. I was, I was probably, maybe I was a couple inches taller than five feet, five, two, five, four, but I didn't grow too much in high school. And, uh, I'm kind of glad that I didn't because if, if I had, if I all of a sudden shot up to six, one, I might've stayed with basketball and my life would have been completely different. Um, my freshman year, I ran all three seasons, cross country, indoor track, outdoor track, and I did it for four years of high school. And then I went on to do the same thing in college, all four years of my college experience at Connecticut College in New London. And it's just amazing. You know, my my wife is someone who was on the women's team in college. Uh, my best man at my wedding was uh, my co-captain in cross country in high school. And one of my groomsmen was one of my college teammates. So my life right now is due to running. And it's just one of those rewarding sports that I think can just keep giving back to you over and over again throughout your entire life. When did the switch flip for you from, hey, I'm a high jumper, I'm a high jumper, love that, maybe, maybe throw some shot put to saying, okay, I can dig this running thing. Was that pretty immediate your freshman year or did it take some time? It definitely took some time because I remember my first run. I showed up to that first cross-country practice thinking I was going to high jump and uh, instead of high jumping, I had to go for a three-mile run and that three-mile run was absolutely miserable. I couldn't finish. I had to walk like 10 different times. And afterwards I was so sore. I just felt like I would had been hit by a bus. And I remember asking my coach, is this, is this the way it's always going to be? Am I always going to feel this sore? Because if so, count me out, I'm just <laughs> quitting today. Yeah. And he said, look, Jason, you're always going to feel something, but the way you feel right now is an extreme that is definitely going to go away. And so those first couple of weeks were a little bit touch and go. And because of my teammates and the coach and my family and even my friends making fun of me for, for even wanting to quit at the time, um, you know, I got through that initial hump. And I think that's really key for runners. Just get over that initial hump of, you know, getting some consistency, building some rhythm into your running. Because once I started running a couple more races and, you know, as soon as I ran a sub six minute mile, I just got so hooked on running because I could see that improvement. And after maybe three or four or five weeks, somewhere around there, uh, it stopped being such a slog. It wasn't drudgery every day. I could go for a run and it wasn't painful. It wasn't a really challenging for me anymore. Of course, the workouts were, the long runs, the races, everything else that should be challenging was. Um, but you know, I, I just got really into the process of training because I saw the results. And, and that was what really hooked me on running. So it wasn't immediate, but it was within maybe the first month or two for sure. How did it evolve for you after college? You know, you're competing four years of high school, four years of college, you're embedded in a team system. And for some people, then the relationship with running can, can change, or maybe people struggle post-collegiately when they lose that support system, that team dynamic, the competitions that show you all of those results all the time. So how did it evolve for you after that? Well, after college, I had a really tough decision to make because most of my teammates and friends did not keep competing at a relatively high level. You know, they still ran a little bit, but they weren't training. And uh, I decided that I was only young once. And if I wanted to 
really continue to see what I was capable of. And I did not think that I had achieved my potential in college. I was very injury prone, which is kind of one of the reasons why I started strength running, uh, just because of my history with injuries. Um, but I decided to, you know, let's spend my twenties seeing how fast I can get. And I, and I owe part of that to my college cross country coach, Jim Butler, who, you know, looks back on his life and he's in his sixties now. And he says, you know, racing in my twenties was, was arguably more impactful and more rewarding than my college career. It's a lot longer. It, there's an even bigger running community to get involved with. And, and for me, I wanted to experience that. And, and so I did. And the other thing that really helped me too, was one of my best friends was three years older than me. And he was on the cross country team. He was in uh, cross country, all American new England champ in the 10 K and he was still running and he started getting into longer races like the half marathon and the marathon and, and he was running pretty fast. And, you know, he was a lot better than me when I was in college, but I, I looked to him and I thought, well, if he can do it, then why can't I do it? Why can't I run a fast marathon or run a fast half marathon? So I set my eyes on, on those goals. And, you know, as you know, those are long-term goals. And, you know, it took a couple of years for me from graduation to run my first marathon. And then I was hurt for a while. But, you know, the whole process and journey was something that I very uh, consciously w went after because I knew that, you know, once I hit 30, 35, you know, you do start declining just a tad. And, and at that point, I really wanted to see, you know, let's use the next eight years of, of my life just to to dedicate to running, to see what I can do. And I wouldn't have changed it for anything. It was awesome. Did your relationship with running change, too, or was it similar to what you had in college? Well, in college, it was very collegial. It was such a great community to be a part of because you were around the same 15, 20, 25 guys every day. You know, you would practice six days a week. And, you know, even on that seventh day, you know, you're still running together, even though you're not at formal practice. And, and I didn't get that after college. So my first year, you know, I got a job. I was living at home at the time and commuting into Boston, Massachusetts uh, from a suburb. And, you know, I had to get up at five in the morning and do 80 plus miles a week at that hour in a Massachusetts winter when it was dark in the morning. It was very challenging just to be able to do the training. And, you know, I realized that uh, it's very different than college. You know, I wasn't able to run at 9, 10, 11 in the morning for my morning run because I was on a college schedule. I had to live in the real world. And that made running a little bit more difficult. But, um, you know, I, I still got so much personal satisfaction from the process of training. And because I was trying new things post-collegiately, you know, I got into triathlons for a little while. Um, I've, I got into trail races. Uh, you know, I just started doing some different things. I ran my first uh, 10K and then my first half marathon and 10 mile and marathon. So I was doing different things that still made it very exciting for me. But I, I did miss the community aspect of things. You know, the, the fact that I could just be with 10 of my best friends every day and suffer in workouts together, have fun on easy runs together. There was less of that, although it was still a little bit part of my, my running world at the time. Uh, but that's what I missed most. And I'm just glad at the time that I was just so in love with the, the sport of running that even with a reduction in the community side of things, I was still able to keep going and keep my consistency and motivation up. So where does the strength running podcast come in? or at least that whole business, because it's not just a podcast. Obviously, you do coaching. You have a, a website with instructional info on it. Where did that come to play? 
That's a great question. So I always knew that I wanted to do something in the running space. I just was such a, uh, uh, so passionate about running and I was really interested in the training side of things. So I, I knew coaching in some capacity was something I was really interested in. So in 2007, I bought the domain name strengthrunning.com because I thought it sounded cool. <laughs> There's really no big story behind it except that it was just an awesome name. And, you know, in 2009, I, I put up a static website, no blog. It was very simple, very ugly, I might add. And, you know, it didn't do anything. It went nowhere. Um, I didn't work with any runners. And it didn't really pick up in, until 2010 when I started the blog. And, and that's when it really started growing. But the whole reason for starting strength running was really because I couldn't run for six months. I was laid out for, for the better part of six months with a really bad IT band injury. And, you know, I was just on the couch feeling sorry for myself, watching reruns of House, just <laughs> not running. And, um, you know, I realized at the time that if I wanted to keep running, if I wanted to improve upon my marathon, which I had just run the New York City Marathon, and, you know, my, in my comeback is when I had gotten injured. And so I just realized that my training just really needs a complete upgrade. And so first I got healthy from the IT band injury and that took visiting four physical therapists, doing untold hours of research online to try to figure out what causes this injury and how to treat it. And, you know, the changes that I then made in my training, which allowed me to come back strong, uh, you know, run a great uh, additional marathon PR and, and get faster in other distances as well. Um, I just felt like I had something to share and I felt like the the injury prevention side of things, you know, all of the other things besides just the running was not really being promoted in the running space as much as I thought it could be. So I started strength running in 2009 and, you know, really in full force in 2010, um, you know, after I ran that New York City Marathon in 2008 and got that injury. And, you know, it's been really rewarding because I have taken a lot of the the lessons that I had to learn the hard way, the really hard way, and help other runners avoid some of those mistakes and, and really make better, smarter training decisions from it. And then you started your podcast in 2016, I believe, October, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, which is, I think, just a couple months before I started this one. So kind of interesting that that timeline has been kind of parallel. What was yeah, the impetus the podcast, behind, behind the podcast? Yeah, the podcast was uh, just another way for me to connect with other runners. And, and that was one of the big reasons why I wanted to start the podcast. You know, we wouldn't be having this conversation if I didn't have a podcast, which I think is great. Um, yeah, and, and I wanted a, a new way to talk to my runners, you know, just to have a dialogue, to connect with them. And I think podcasts are just so unique to that to that you know, they really allow you to to connect with your athletes in, in a very different way. So the podcast has been has been really rewarding. Uh, I've just loved talking to, you know, elite athletes, Olympic medalists. But, you know, some of the conversations I really appreciate the most are when, you know, I have someone on who's just a regular runner and we talk about their goals. We talk about how they might achieve them. You know, it's almost like a behind the scenes coaching call where people get to listen in. And, and that's what I love about podcasting is that you can have so many different conversations. You know, you can talk to a leading exercise scientist one day, and then the next day you're talking to a registered dietitian. And and next week you're going to be talking to a best-selling author. And then today you and I are having an awesome conversation. So for me, it's, it's a way to connect with my runners, but it's also an awesome way to keep learning about the sport and being more engaged in the running community. Agree with that for sure. 
but enough about you for a second, Jason. My goodness. Uh, let's talk about training. Which Great. Is, Who wants which to hear about why, me? <laughs> which is why we're here. I, I heard you recently say that as a coach, you're not trying to build runners. You're trying to build athletes who specialize in running. And that to me is a really powerful statement because I think it gets to the heart of what it takes to be your best running self. So talk a little bit about your thought process behind that phrase. Yeah, I, I really don't even, this is a new thing for me over the last year or so, but I'm trying to tell runners not to think of themselves as runners. Let's think of yourself as an athlete. And that really changes the game because now we're not just going to be running. And, and I think that's the big difference. Uh, athletes really work on their general athleticism and they want to be good at many different aspects of athleticism, not just endurance. You know, if you're a bodybuilder, you're really just focusing on size, on hypertrophy, on muscle gains. You know, that that's very one dimensional, just like a runner who only goes out and runs, you know, uh, an easy run every day. And to, like you said, to your point, if you really want to achieve your potential to see what you're capable of, then you have to think about things other than running. We have to talk about dynamic warming, uh, dynamic warmups. We have to talk about strength and core routines. We have to talk about running drills and all the different ways that we can build agility and speed and coordination and movement fluency and all these other things that runners don't think about too much. Because not only is it going to help these athletes get injured far less frequently. And, and injuries with runners are just so commonplace. You know, runners like to think about running as it's, oh, it's not a contact sport. I'm not getting hit by any other runners. No, of course not, but you're hitting yourself. Every footstep is like two to five times your body weight just slamming down on your legs. It is absolutely a contact sport. So I've been kind of really getting into this whole idea of, you know, let's make sure we're getting strong. Let's make sure we're building top end running speed or your, your sprinting capacity. Let's make sure we're working on mobility and, and all these other elements of fitness because we're going to be such better runners. You know, if you think about, you know, let's talk about the Boston Marathon. The Boston Marathon is such a hard race, not only because it's 26.2 miles, of course, but because of the nature of the course. Runners with more strength, runners that have more experience on hills, more power, they're going to be much better at covering the Boston Marathon course. And that's just one example. You can look at cross country. You can look at the steeplechase or trail races. You know, just last weekend, I ran a 12-mile trail race out here in Colorado, and I think there was about 3,000 feet of elevation gain over the 12 miles, which... You know, I live in Denver, so I kind of run some hills every once in a while, but I'm not used to that. That's literally running up and down mountains for 12 miles. And if you're not doing the drills and the hill work and the strength, then you're just not going to be good on that kind of a terrain. So there's so many different ways in which we can look at how athleticism helps our running. And I think it's just a no brainer for runners to to think about these things and to incorporate, you know, some really practical ways of building this into your training. So if someone listened to all of that and said, I get it, Jason, I need to be more than just a two-dimensional runner. And they said, I want to start with strength because that sounds important. Where would you start with them? You know, what types of strength training are we talking about? So I like to think about strength training just like our running training. You know, let's kind of, if you're new to strength training, you know, let's start where you might be new with running. So let's start with easy strength training, and that's body weight strength exercises. 
you know, I have this method called the sandwich method, which let's make a run sandwich every time you go for a run. And that simply means the run is preceded by a dynamic warm up routine. And that's actually going to get you warmed up for running and then is followed by a runner specific strength or core routine. Now, sometimes it can only be 10 minutes. You know, you don't have to be in the gym throwing around heavy weight every single day. We're not bodybuilders. We don't need to spend that much time in the gym. But some kind of strength routine is really, really helpful, not only as a cool down to really help yourself loosen up, improve your range of motion after a run, but build that strength, build that ability to move in slightly different ways. And so this sandwich method, you know, you just remember one thing. I'm sandwiching my runs. Dynamic warm up first, core or strength routine after the run. Then I think you're going to go a long way to preventing injuries and to building some of those um, better movement patterns and better running economy that's going to make you in a faster runner. And then, of course, you know, you can kind of go from there. You know, you can start with the body weight routines. And then once that's comfortable, once you can, you know, do 10, 20, maybe 30 minutes of body weight exercises and it's not incredibly challenging, then maybe we can add in some band work, you know, where you're using a resistance band to add some resistance to some of these exercises. Then we can add in maybe a medicine ball or a kettlebell, another way to add in some more difficulty. And then I think what we're really moving towards is real weightlifting in the gym, where we are actually working with a barbell and we're doing some real fundamental compound multi-joint movements, you know, like squats, deadlifts, presses, cleans, you know, some of those just really fundamental movements that are beneficial for all athletes. Uh, and if they're, if it's done in the right way, we're going to produce the strength and the power, uh, and also the injury prevention benefits that are just going to make us into much, much better athletes. I want to come back to the dynamic warm-up piece, but if we just focus on strength for a second with the body weight work that you're talking about in core, what does that include? What types of exercises are we talking about? Right. So there's a lot. And, and in fact, anyone who's spent a lot of time in a physical therapist's office, uh, which unfortunately is probably a good chunk of, <laughs> of, of runners, uh, you know, a lot of these exercises are taken from the physical therapy world. You know, when we're doing them, when we're injured, it's rehab. But when we're doing them when we're healthy, it's prehab. It, they have a strong injury prevention stimulus for us. And some of these exercises are very simple. You know, we're going to be doing uh, different variations of bridges or planks, different kinds of ab work. And of course, that's just not your 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 abs. It's your lower uh, lower abs. It's your obliques. It's your upper abs. It's really the entire region encapsulating your core. Um, and of course, it's your lower back. It's your glutes. Any exercise that really focuses on strength uh, is going to be beneficial for runners. Um, you know, some of those fundamentals, we don't have to really get into, you know, the, the really advanced uh, handstand push-ups kind of bodyweight exercises. You know, we're not acrobats. We don't need to do that kind of stuff. But, you know, starting with some very basic bodyweight exercises is very helpful. And what I like to do is to set them up in routines. So instead of just being like, okay, what 10 exercises am I going to do today? Instead, we're just going to say, oh, I'm going to do this routine today. And if we have a variety of them, we can kind of cycle through them. So I have a bunch that I use with my runners, you know, the standard core routine, the ITB rehab routine, uh, the gauntlet plank workout, which includes, I think, nine or 10 different variations of the plank exercises. You know, these are really great runner specific routines. You know, they focus on the core, they focus on the, the hips and the glutes, and they're really going to confer a very strong injury prevention benefit to runners. Uh, and by the way, these routines are all on strength running. They're free. There's videos, demonstrations. You can check them out. 
Why is that so important? Primarily for injury prevention benefits. You know, if you can, I like to call strength training the armor that protects you from all the impact forces of running. And the more that you run, the faster that you run, the more time on your feet that you're going to, you're going to be spending, you know, and that's more impact. Uh, the faster you run, the more, uh, intense those impact forces are. So the strength training really gives us not only the muscular strength, but it also strengthens our connective tissues, the bones, the tendons, the ligaments, all that stuff that kind of keeps us working and in good working order are going to be strengthened by these routines. And, and that's, that's the really important part, you know, uh, depending on the study, you know, up to 75% of runners are going to get hurt every single year. And that's insane. I mean, that's like higher than professional football, uh, which is an incredibly violent sport. And so, you know, we should be doing everything we can to protect ourselves from these injuries, particularly the really severe injuries that take us out for, you know, weeks or months at a time. Because, you know, if you want to get faster, you know, I like to call consistency the secret sauce of successful running you got to be consistent and injuries are the number one threat to your consistency. So a big goal for all runners should be to simply stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people related to strength. I say, look, if you can do something, anything consistently, that's way better than a bunch of things done inconsistently. And so find the routine or a couple of routines that you can add in the 10 to 15 minutes post run. If that's all you can do, just do it consistently and it'll make a huge difference. What about timing? How, how often are you recommending that? Is that after every run? You know, if you're starting with body weight type of stuff, is that after every run or is it after every other run, three times a week, two times a week? What do you recommend? So ideally it would be after every run and, you know, in an ideal schedule, the, the schedule that I think would be the most beneficial for runners, you know, the post run routine will really be tailored towards the type of run that they're, they're, they're doing. So if you do a fast workout or a long run, that's a hard day. So maybe our strength routine should be hard as well. You know, we're going to keep our hard days hard, keep our easy days easy. And, you know, that's maybe a good day for lifting weights in the gym. Um, but let's say you have a, a really short, easy day. Maybe it's the day before your long run or your, your faster workout. You know, this is a time when we don't want to do anything too challenging. We want to keep this an easy or recovery day. So a routine that maybe places a bit more emphasis on mobility rather than strength might be a good option. Um, so there's there's a lot of different routines here. Uh, I think the easier routines are a little bit weighted more towards mobility, and they're just shorter. You know, they're not going to take you 20 minutes. They might take you eight to 10 minutes. And so I, I do think it's beneficial to do something after every run, um, you know, even if it's just, you know, five minutes of, of basic strength or mobility work, it's just going to make you feel better during the rest of the day. And I think every runner knows that feeling when, you know, you finish a workout, you come home, you're tired, you sit down in a chair for 45 minutes or an hour, then you get up and your legs are incredibly tight, you feel terrible, you know, that's what we want to avoid. It's just that going from high intensity to zero intensity. And so that cool down, it, it acts as a bridge between the workout and just your the rest of your day. You use that word mobility, and I think it's a word that runners mostly don't understand. I mean, we talk about flexibility a lot in our world, but we don't talk a lot about mobility in my opinion, mobility is more important than flexibility for runners, but people don't really understand it. When you think about that word, what does it mean to you and what types of activity are we talking about to improve mobility? 
So first, you're absolutely right. I think I think uh, that mobility is far more important than flexibility. Flexibility is just your ability to like touch your toes. It's how big of a range of motion can you achieve? So if you can do a split, you have pretty good flexibility. But mobility is different. Mobility is the ability to move well at the end ranges of your range of motion. So if you can move powerfully through a proper running range of motion, for example, then one might say that you have good mobility. And so mobility is really the ability to move well. And so that is is very different than flexibility. And we can work on mobility in a bunch of different ways. You know, I think uh, uh, primarily it's through training. You know, we're not going to work on mobility by stretching. We're not going to improve our mobility by doing that kind of just static flexibility holds where we're just, you know, reaching down and touching our toes for 30 seconds or a minute, that doesn't improve our ability to move well. And so the things that we can do in training that help us move well, uh, we can do uh, some faster running, you know, faster running really improves your range of motion, uh, it opens up your hips a lot more. And so that is a really important part of training that improves mobility. Uh, strength training is another great way to improve mobility. Because if you can, you know, if you can do a deep squat and you can deadlift properly and maybe you can do some Olympic lifts, you know, like the snatch or, um, you know, the power clean, something like that, that requires a lot of mobility, the ability to move well through a very complex motion. And so that is going to transfer really well over to your running. You know, I always think the best way to work on your mobility is just to move through a very varied variety of movements throughout your training cycle. So you're doing strides, you're doing some kind of faster workout, you're doing a dynamic warm-up, which includes mobility drills before your run. Then you're doing uh, some strength training after your run. And then of course, you know, maybe you're doing all kinds of other things like you're running trails, you know, trails require a little bit more athleticism because they make you move in much different ways than if you were just running, you know, straight ahead on a smooth sidewalk. So I always think runners should focus on training itself when they're thinking about, you know, how to engage in more mobility work in their training. So let's talk about the the weight weight bearing strength type training where you're going from body weight to actually adding plates to a bar and doing the squats, the deadlifts, the cleans and snatches that you talk about. How do you recommend people take that first step into that world because for me as somebody who just recently started doing that work last year it was very intimidating you know it's not a world i had lived in it's nothing i'd ever done i didn't know how to do things I, I didn't feel comfortable you know really even operating in that world you know i feel comfortable on a track i don't feel comfortable in a weight room i don't look like i feel comfortable in a weight room and so it's a very intimidating world to enter so how do you recommend people start yeah you and me both chris um you know i'm like the five foot seven, 130 pound runner in short shorts trying to do a deadlift and all the, <laughs> the bros in the weight room are staring at me like, who's this little guy? Right. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, first you kind of just have to be comfortable with the fact that you're going to be a beginner all over again. And that's okay. You know, we're learning a new skill, whether that skill is going to be, you know, I'm doing my first triathlon. So now I need to learn the bike and the swim, or I'm getting in the weight room and now I need to learn some new movements. But I think what's really important for runners to remember is that the movements are really important. 
how much weight you're putting up is not nearly as important. So, you know, heavy weightlifting, yes, that's great. And it has its place in any strength program for runners, but you know, it should never be prioritized more heavily than doing the movements properly and making sure that you can do the workout with an appropriate level of fatigue. So if you're, you know, if you can't finish the workout cause you're trying to lift so much weight, you need to back off a little bit. You know, we have to remember that strength training is there to supplement our running and to make it better. We're not strength training to get bigger. We're not strength training, you know, to gain endurance. So we don't have to, you know, spend all day in the weight room doing so many sets of very high repetitions. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of a, a transition to weightlifting is going to be very, um, uh, beneficial for runners because they're not going to place too much emphasis on how much they're they're lifting. They're just going to get in there and practice the movements. I think the first day I went to the gym, you know, I put on like five or 10 pound plates just because I wanted to see what it felt like. And, you know, it'll make you feel kind of silly doing it at first because you're next to someone lifting four times as much as you. But, you know, the idea is let's get through the movement itself because we're not just trying to get stronger in the gym we're really trying to develop better neuromuscular fitness. And that's just better coordination between the brain and the muscles. And, and that is one of the great ways to improve your running economy is to, is to improve that neuromuscular coordination. And you get a lot of that from lifting. Um, so the, the weight's not super important. So don't be intimidated by how much you're, you're, you think you have to lift a certain amount or man, if I'm not squatting my body weight, what's the point? Let's get in there and just learn the movements and build gradually from there. I think that's the most important part. How do you learn the movements well? I mean, last year I deadlifted for the first time with weight on a bar and had someone guiding me, but I actually messed up <laughs> the first time I did it. It ended up straining my back a little bit. Fortunately, it wasn't too bad and I was okay within a couple of days, but I didn't do it well the first time. And I, it took a little while to kind of learn how to do it correctly. So for somebody who maybe doesn't have somebody, what do you recommend in terms of learning these movements and learning how to do it right? Well, I think a big first step is to not try to lift too much weight. Like I mentioned before, you know, it's going to be hard to hurt yourself if you're practicing with either an empty barbell and you're maybe a bigger guy or, you know, you're practicing with a broomstick or a PVC pipe just to get that movement right. Um, but you know, you said you were working with someone. I do think that's a great way to learn those movements. Maybe you get, you know, a, a three pack of introductory packages with a trainer, uh, or even just one session to learn the fundamental movements and to really, um, you know, practice them over and over again with a trainer or a strength coach who really knows what he's doing. Um, there's also a lot of, you know, instruction videos that you can watch online that'll show you the proper movements and give you some mistakes to avoid. Um, but I think a lot of it is just experience too. And you got to get in the weight room and just kind of feel out some of those movements. You know, it's like, it's like your running form, you know, one of the best ways to get better uh, running form to improve your economy and your efficiency is to run a lot and to be a seasoned, experienced runner. Uh, and that you only get that with experience. So, you know, the same is true in the weight room. And uh, I, I think if we can avoid lifting too much, if we can avoid uh, lifting when we're incredibly tired, that's another big mistake that I see, then we can probably avoid all those big injuries and instead just kind of build, you know, a very gradual base of strength fitness that we can then build on.
You know, we have a, a strength program where the first four weeks are just based on general strength. The goals are injury prevention. We're not lifting a lot of weight. We're not doing any explosive exercises. And just like the base phase in a training plan or in a training program where, you know, we're going to get our mileage up, we're going to kind of build that that early foundation of fitness first, that's what we're going to do in the weight room too. And I think that's critical for injury prevention while you're lifting as well. Yeah. Don't, don't do what I did, which is add too much weight too soon. That was my big mistake. So, but what we're aspiring to here is getting to a place of building power, right? Building to a point where we can lift heavier weights with lower reps versus the counter to that in lifting, which would be in a more endurance type lifting where you're doing high reps with lower rate, lower weight. So why is it our goal as runners to go eventually build to a place where you can do higher weight, lower reps? Well, if you think about what we get as runners, when we go out there and we run, you know, 10 miles or we're running 30 miles a week or 40 miles a week of mileage, we're getting a really strong endurance stimulus. And strength training really needs to be complementary to our running. It should build a, a different skill set, but a skill set that makes us better runners. And that's why when we get in the gym, we should be focusing on strength and power, not on hypertrophy or not on endurance. And so, you know, the big mistake I see a lot of runners making is that, well, you know, I want to run a good half marathon or a marathon. So I'm going to get in the gym and I'm going to do five sets of 20 reps. I'm building muscular endurance and that's going to give me more endurance. But we get plenty of that while we're out there running. If we're lifting for strength and power, we're getting more of an injury prevention stimulus. We're getting more of a strength and power stimulus. And that is really going to help us as runners because, you know, every time we run up a steep hill, every time that we try to kick at the end of a race, we're relying on power and we're relying on strength. And if we don't have that, it's going to be a lot more challenging for us. And our form is going to start to fall apart. We're just going to start developing all these uh, movement patterns that that aren't conducive to us running fast when we're really fatigued at the end of a race or even a workout or long run. So the strength training should be there to improve your running economy. And, and part of that is through, you know, that neuromuscular pathway that we were talking about earlier. And you really only get that through either heavy lifting or really fast, explosive movements like Olympic lifts. So that's what we want to focus on, those complementary skill sets that help us be better runners without, you know, just kind of doing more of the same that we get as runners every day. You know, we get plenty of endurance when we're running. We don't need to do that in the gym. One thing I, I think people don't realize is you're building muscle, but you're also building your nerve, your nerves, your nervous system effectively in so that if you're running a marathon and that fatigue sets in, basically what can happen is your nerves stop firing. They stop telling your muscles what to do because it hasn't been appropriately trained and strength training helps us keep those nerves active for longer periods of time so that they can tell your muscles what to do. You know, that's one issue I've had in my private marathons is having that late race fatigue. And yes, there's a strength element to that, but there's also a, a neurological element to that. And I don't think that's something people realize. Yeah, no, that's a really important part of it. And it's that that neuromuscular coordination. It's that fitness, that communication between the brain and the muscles. And you're right, you know, at the end of a, of a race like that, especially a marathon, you know, your brain st stops sending those signals to a big chunk of your muscle fibers because it's trying to protect you. You know, it knows those muscle fibers are damaged. And the cool thing about strength training is that 
not only does it improve that communication pathway, so you can keep communicating to those muscle fibers, you can keep them firing, but it also improves the the total pool of fibers that you then have available to you. So, you know, at the end of a marathon, your slow twitch muscle fibers are going to be completely trashed. They're not going to be there really for you. They're fatigued. They're done. They're they're ready for the beer after the race. And strength training can really help you tap into some of those fast twitch muscle fibers and get them to pick up some of the slack. So, you know, really what we're doing is we're, we're trying to um, look, look at every avenue of improvement that we, that we can actually get. And the strength training is a big part of that. So you mentioned squats, deadlifts, power clean, snatches. What other types of movements are we talking about here with this more power-oriented lifting? I mean, those are the big ones. And then there's also variations on all those. You know, there's like five different squats that you can do. There's the Romanian deadlift. You can do uh, different types of deadlifts. Um, but, you know, I don't think runners should try to make things more complex than they really are. You know, we don't need to do, um, you know, uh, 500 different exercises in our strength program to get the benefits. Uh, in fact, you know, I was talking to a strength coach that works with a bunch of elite runners up here in Boulder, and he was saying that he has a simple strength program that he uses for runners who are in a hurry or, you know, maybe older runners who don't want to do that kind of explosive movements. And it's simply three exercises. It's three movements. And, you know, you play with the weight, you play with the repetitions, and that gets them 80% of the way there. And so, you know, it's really interesting hearing a strength coach say that uh, because, you know, you kind of have this idea that, uh, and this is probably just with our Instagram culture, everyone's posting these really sexy, interesting strength movements on Instagram. And we're like, oh, I should be able to do that. It's like the handstand pushups and the, the muscle ups on rings and all this crazy stuff. But runners don't really need that. You know, again, let's just complement our running and we can get there primarily with the basics. So, you know, I look at squat, deadlift, and of course, all of their variations. Uh, there's a variety of presses you can do uh, once you move into the Olympic lifts, those more power, explosive oriented movements. We have the clean and jerk, the the clean, uh, there's the power clean, there's uh, the snatch. So these are these are the basics. And, and I don't think we should stray too far from that. Keep it simple, right? And if we're doing this kind of lifting, I assume that's not in the sandwich and that's not a part of the bread every day. So how often are you recommending it? And and for how long? Yeah, that's that's for sure. We're not we're not bodybuilders. We don't need to be in the gym five, six days a week. Um, you know, ideally twice a week is fine. Twice a week in the gym doing some kind of strength movement is really all you need. Uh, and then if you're the other runs during the week are followed by some much easier, mostly body weight strength routines. And I think that you're going to get, you know, the power and the strength and the injury prevention benefits of the weightlifting. And then the more the more injury prevention oriented benefits from the body weight exercises that are, you know, what some coaches might call accessory work. You know, they complement the big lifts, the more traditional compound lifts that you're doing in the gym. Um, but again, it's more prehab. It's like the stuff you would do in a physical therapist's office. But that work can be done uh, on the other days that you're not lifting. And on the days that you're lifting, you know, we can get a great workout in in an hour or less. You know, I don't think any runner needs to spend more than an hour in the weight room. And that's probably the maximum. You know, when, when we put together strength programming for runners, um, you know, the, the workouts probably vary anywhere between 35 and 60 minutes. 
And the 60 minute workouts, you know, that's kind of like the lo the longest long runs in your marathon training plan. Yes, we're going to get up to some longer workouts at certain points during the training program, but we're not going to do it all the time. You know, some of the workouts are, are 20 minutes shorter and some of them are much easier. So we, we just need to do enough to get the strength and power, but not enough to be fatigued. And I, I think that's another interesting point is just, you know, if you're ever so tired or sore from your lifting that you can't go for a run or you can't finish the mileage, or maybe you can't run the workout paces that your coach has assigned to you or that you think you can run, then you probably need to dial back the intensity of your lifting because it should never interfere with your running. It should always be there to make your running better. You said earlier, <clears throat> keep your hard days hard, your easy days easy, which is also something we recommend here in terms of where people are fitting their strength in. But that is a little bit counterintuitive, I think, for some where they say, hey, I just did a hard track workout or a hard quality workout of some other variety. Why is it that I'm going to go straight into lifting? That seems like too much. So talk a little bit more about the rationale behind that statement. Hard days hard, easy days easy. Yeah. So here, I think there's two important rationales for that. The first one is to make sure that we're really trying to gain as much fitness as we can on those hard days. And, you know, much like if you wanted to run 20 miles in a week, the easy way to do it would be to run maybe three miles, about three miles a day. That's the easy way. The hard way to do it is to run 20 miles in one day. Now, you're probably going to get more fitness out of that one 20-mile run than running three miles seven days in a row. Um, you know, there's probably some some arguments we can make here. This is actually probably a good podcast conversation. We should we should yeah, set one up for that. We could probably do a whole 20 minutes on that debate. Yeah. But, but the idea here is that by putting more work in a single day, you are going to make the body, force the body to make additional adaptations. So you're going to really, really force the body to get stronger, to get fitter, to gain more endurance on those days. And then on the flip side of that, on an easy day, maybe it's a recovery day. You're not doing anything. It's a rest day, a total pure 100% off rest day. Maybe you just go for a 20, 30 minute walk and you don't really do any kind of formal exercise. I think a lot of runners would try to do their strength workout on that day. And, you know, then you're not getting as much fitness on the hard day and you're not getting as much recovery on that easy day. And I think the other reason why we should do it this way is because, you know, there's this line that I keep coming back to about strength training and that it's coordination training under resistance. And if we can get good at strength training when we're tired, when we've already done a workout or a long run, and then we get in the gym and we do our lifting, then that's an even better coordination training stimulus. You know, we are really going to force ourselves to move properly when we're tired. And if you think about it, that's what we're doing at the end of a long race. You know, when you're mile 24 in a marathon, you have to work so hard to keep your form together because you're so fatigued. And you're going to think back to all those lifting workouts you did after long runs and after those faster workouts, and you're going to thank yourself because you have more skill to be able to do it. Now, some would say, Jason, that's great but I don't really have time to spend two to two and a half hours on one day working out because of my schedule. So what would you say to those who maybe can't stack the workouts like that? Well, there's no hard and fast rules, I think, when it comes to running. So I think I just laid out the ideal way to do it, but that's not the only way to do it. Uh, in fact, I would agree with that runner that you know, I probably don't have the time either. And, you know, I then like to do those days on moderate running days. And so, 
you know, a lot of runners might do, uh, you know, an easy recovery run the day after a long run or a workout, uh, and then take the next day off. This is kind of a, one of the things that I like to do with my athletes, just cause I like an extra day of running after a hard day to help with recovery. Um, so I would put the workout on that day and still maintain at least one total day off during the week for most runners. Um, cause then you're, you know, you're probably still a little tired from the long run of the workout. You probably feel it in your legs. Uh, that's just another way to do it from, from a scheduling perspective that works well for a lot of runners. And I don't think we're losing too much fitness or really compromising our training in any significant way if we do it that way either. Yeah, I always say it's better to do it <laughs> no matter what than not do it. <laughs> yeah. If, if you can't optimize the days, it's okay. Plus your body adapts to whatever you give it, so it's okay. Let's talk a little bit about periodization. You've referenced that a few times. If somebody's training for a marathon, just as an example, or even a half marathon, and they're maybe four or five months out from that race, how do you periodize the weight training to have them be in that optimal place when it's time to go on race day? Yeah. So, you know, let's say they're 16 weeks out, you know, we have a 16 week strength program that is kind of periodized exactly to a 16 week, uh, training plan. So, you know, the first four weeks are going to be much like the first four weeks of a marathon or a half marathon plan. We're focusing on relatively easy lifting. We're building a foundation. We're building that base of just general strength first. The primarily goals here are injury prevention. We're not really doing any kind of power movements at all. And so, you know, that is, is I think the first and most important way to prioritize, or to, I'm sorry, periodize a strength program is just to make sure that we're starting with a solid foundation of mostly easy lifting. And from there, we can start adding in some some quicker lifts, you know, really working on the concentric phase of the lift and getting that bar up powerfully uh, or squatting the bar up powerfully or pulling it from the floor, however we're moving it. Um, and over the middle eight weeks, we're kind of trending in the general direction of the final phase of the program. And that's where we're, you know, we're adding in the Olympic lifts. We're adding in the, the explosive lifts and the number of reps that we're doing is going down significantly. You know, maybe you're only doing two or three reps, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of runners are like, well, what good am I going to get from doing two reps of a squat? Well, if it's heavy enough or you're doing a power movement, you don't really want to do much more. Uh, and then, of course, the weight is also going up. So we're really focusing on uh, power, moving weight quickly, and gaining as much strength as we possibly can in the final phases of that program. Um, you know, in the end, too, is where we can start adding in uh, uh, complementary exercises like plyometrics, which work really well at um, <clears throat> power, you know, enabling you to, uh, react very quickly and, and use the, you know, the short stress shortening reflex and, you know, being able to bounce off the ground really fast. That is great and co very complementary to the heavier, more explosive strength training. And so the general direction and trend of strength training is very similar to the general direction and trend of a running program. You know, we're going to build the mileage, build the volume, we're going to build intensity over time. And then at the end, we taper, you know, just like just like we do in a running plan. You know, we cut down the reps, we cut down the weight, we really focus on just technique and just a little bit of high intensity work. And it just leaves you feeling so strong and responsive on race day. What do you recommend for the taper? I get this question all the time about when people say, when should I stop lifting? Should I stop it all in those final few weeks before a big race? What do you recommend in those those final weeks for maintaining or not? that activity? 
So I think most runners should, generally speaking, maintain their strength training up through the race. Um, you know, there's some differences here with kind of the level of athlete that you're at. You know, if this is your first time doing any kind of weightlifting, you know, maybe the week of the race, you don't do any weightlifting. Or you might do a relatively short and easy lifting session uh, on t Monday or Tuesday before a Saturday race, for example. So there's there's a lot of different ways that you can structure it. But you know, for a more advanced runner, someone who has some experience in the weight room, someone who has experience with hard workouts or high mileage, you know, just, in other words, higher a higher workload, they're someone who can probably lift twice in the week of their race. Uh, and again, these workouts are are relatively short. They're relatively easy in terms of what they had been doing beforehand. You know, it's, it's kind of like asking, uh, you know, should I do any running the week of my race? Well, of course, we're going to do some running. We still want to uh, maintain that responsiveness. We still want to keep our legs underneath us and make sure that we feel good on race day. And, and, you know, the name of the game here is not to just eliminate the training. It's to modify it so that you're not tired when you line up on race day. So, you know, we can we can take that week off, or we can even go up to two workouts that week, depending on the athlete, depending on what they're comfortable with. Uh, but at least go up through the week before the race. Cause I think, uh, you know, it takes roughly, I think seven to 10 days or so to start getting detrained from your weightlifting. If my memory is serving me correctly. Mm -hmm. And so we do want to keep lifting very close to, uh, the date of our race. So no, none in that final week or modify in that final week to lower the intensity, but keep up the frequency. Okay. Let's this, this is another question before we switch off of strength for a second. Some people, I often get the question, you know, how can I find someone who's going to be good at helping me learn these movements in my world? And yeah, you can watch all the YouTube videos or go to strengthrunning.com and watch those videos. But if somebody's looking for somebody to help them with a few sessions to learn the basic movements, what do you recommend? Because I've also had people get hurt by personal trainers who didn't know what they were doing. So how can someone find somebody who's going to really help them do this and also understand the needs of runners specifically? Because that's the other challenge I see sometimes is people tell me <laughs> they get a personal trainer, they're doing strength, but they tell me some of the workouts that they're doing. And it's with somebody who has no clue what they're doing relative to the runner and, and the activity they're trying to get ready for. So what are your tips on finding somebody who can help? Yeah. So generally speaking, most personal trainers uh, have a strength and conditioning certification. So they should know how to program these workouts in theory, and they should be giving you great advice on technique and form. But, you know, we know that that's not often the case. Um, what I like to do is actually get recommendations from really good physical therapists who have experience treating runners. So if your PT is a runner herself or has experience, you know, kind of specializes in runners and running injuries, they probably have a good network locally in the area of uh, athletic trainers or or uh other trainers that you can get to help you in the gym. Uh, so that's the first thing that you can do is, is really get a recommendation from uh, a good physical therapist who, who focuses on runners. The other thing that I think is really helpful is um, going to a uh, more of a performance oriented gym. You know, if you go to uh, Gold's gym or, or any other kind of globo gym out there, you know, you're probably not going to get that running specific attention. Um, and so finding a strength and conditioning specialist or a similar type of trainer who 
really focuses on performance. So in other words, we're not just going to give you a workout twice a week so that you're burning calories because your interest is weight loss. That's not really a focus on performance. That's just a focus on general health. There's, of course, nothing wrong with that. A lot of people just go to the gym and get a trainer, and, and that's awesome. But for runners who really want to increase their strength and their power and to become better runners and uh, to get faster, to uh, prevent more injuries, then it becomes much more important to, to talk to someone who has experience doing just that. And so any kind of performance oriented gym, you know, I'm there's there's you know, this is probably because I live in Denver and there's such an amazing running scene here. But there's a lot of uh, uh physical therapy offices that also have kind of a, a performance or strength uh, side to the business. And that's where they actually work with athletes in the gym, you know, actually training them, not just helping them get healthy from injuries. So that's uh, an interesting way to do it as well is to find those performance oriented uh, professionals. I want to go back to dynamic warm up. We mentioned that earlier as the, as part of the bread to our, our, our running sandwich What's in in a dynamic warm up for you? So a dynamic warm up for me is some very light strength exercises. You might do some easy lunges, you know, not weight bearing at all, uh, and then some dynamic flexibility movements. And I think a lot of runners kind of know what some of these are. If you go to a big race, you probably see some runners doing some movements off in the distance. And yes, they look very goofy. You're okay to make fun of them a little bit, but <laughs> you know this is what runners do. And, you know, some of these exercises are things like leg swings, things that are going to, you know, really open up your, uh, your hips and improve your range of motion. Uh, but I, I, we shouldn't ignore the light strength exercises either. You know, something like a bridge where, you know, you're lying on your back and then you drive your heels into the ground and you lift your butt off the ground. You know, this is a strength exercise that helps you develop glute and hip strength, but it's also a really good exercise to do as part of a dynamic warm-up because it activates your glutes. It reminds you that you have them so that when you go out running, you're much more likely to fire them properly and to use them properly while you're running. Great way to run faster and to prevent your risk of injury. Um, and, and we don't necessarily have to do, you know, multiple sets. We don't have to do really high repetitions. But as long as we're choosing five to 10 exercises that are going to, you know, literally warm us up, you know, I think a lot of runners are, do a bunch of static stretching before their run, but is that warming them up? Is their heart rate elevated? Is their respiration higher? No, it's not. And so a, a warm up has to include movement drills that are really going to help us with um, elevating that heart rate, lubricating the joints, opening up those capillary beds. There's so many great things that a dynamic warm up does. Um, you know, one of the ones that I use a lot with my athletes, uh, the standard warm up and the Matic warm up. Um, include a variety of drills as well. So like form drills, things like A skip, B skip, um, karaoke, you can do butt kicks or high knees. You know, all these drills are really fantastic to use as part of a warm up. Um, and, you know, they complement the strength exercises and the dynamic flexibility exercises as well. Yeah, we call it turning the lights on, basically. Yeah, see? Around That's here. Great. It's like you're turning the lights on to your muscles so that you're ready for the activity, the workout, the race, whatever it may be. Yeah. Let's, Wake, so it you, really wakes up the body, doesn't it? Yeah, it's almost yeah. like priming your body for exercise. 
you know, I think it's always fun too to look at elite athletes. You know, let's look at football players or base a baseball pitcher. Very different athletes than runners, but none of them would get on the field without warming up first. And warming up does not look like a bunch of static stretching. And so, you know, if that holds true for them, then then we should take that principle and apply it to our own training. The other thing I like to remind people about form drills is that it's also building athleticism if you're doing doing them consistently cuz basically in a sense what you're doing is taking the running motion and just breaking it down into its smaller movement parts whether it be raising your knee, pulling your leg back to your butt, swinging your legs, whatever it may be, rotating your body with karaoke which is people don't think about the rotational forces associated with running but it's there and 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 or a skips and b skips where you're working different parts of those movement patterns a lot of people when they do a b skip as an example don't do it well because it's a it's a move that takes some coordination and so if you become better at that specific drill you're becoming a better more coordinated athlete which will only make you a better runner in addition to having the warm up benefits yeah, you're totally right. I mean, the warm-up benefits are one thing, and then the coordination benefits are another thing. And that's going to improve your running economy or your efficiency. So, yeah, I mean, when I was in college, we did drills two or three days a week, you know, before our workouts and before the race uh, in most occasions. And you feel the difference. It's not something that, you know, you do them for a week or two and all of a sudden you're a better runner, but it's when you do them consistent, consistently for months and months and even years is that you just get good at them and you're just much better at running fast. You feel more fluid. You have a smoother stride. And those benefits really uh, transfer so well over to your, your gait cycle and your form. So you mentioned no static stretching before. It makes total sense. Is there a place, though, for stretching? Sure. So I, I don't want runners to think that I'm so anti-static stretching because sometimes I do come off that way. <laughs> um, I probably haven't really static stretched in years. But, you know, if you enjoy stretching, if it gives you pleasure, if it's like a great end to the workout for you, then I don't think you should stop static stretching. You know, there was an interesting study done by the Centers for Disease Control that looked at 360 other studies on stretching and found that there's absolutely no injury prevention benefit to stretching. Now, with that said, I think stretching is very relaxing. And if you do enjoy it, and if you find that you get value from it, I think doing it at the very end of your workout, there's there's virtually no drawback to that. You know, as long as you're not trying to stretch your hamstring for, for eight minutes at a time and you end up straining it, then I think, you know, spending a minute or two on each muscle is fine. Uh, I would just recommend doing it at the very end. You know, let's finish the sandwich with that core or strength routine. Maybe it's even more mobility afterwards. And then if you have the time and the desire, yeah, we can do some static stretching afterward. I just wouldn't expect it to, you know, don't expect it to, to make you into an Olympian. <laughs> So what's your take on yoga? Yeah, yoga, I think, is is almost like a combination between stretching and core work. Uh, you know, it, it has its place for sure. Uh, I think one of its primary benefits is it's relaxing. And, and I think it does give you uh, some additional strength and coordination and balance that can make you into a better athlete. Um, I would say that it it should not take the place of a strength or core routine. You know, strength is strength. Yoga is not a strength workout. Um, yoga can make you strong, but it's not a traditional strength workout. 
And so if you enjoy yoga or if you want to start with yoga, you know, I think you can do yoga a couple times a week and, and that might make you into a better runner, you know, improve your, um, your mobility and your ability to move through different types of, uh, ranges of motion. And it's probably going to complement your running really well. Cause you're doing such different poses and, and movements than, than you'll get from running. But, um, you know, again, it doesn't take the place of strength training and it should probably, probably be done in addition, maybe like uh, in the evening. The other cautionary tale I've found with yoga and especially those athletes that are really committed to it and really good at it is that there is a such, there is such thing as hypermobility for some athletes. I tend to, as a coach, I've seen this more in women where they become hypermobile, which creates some stability issues with their running, which can also cause injury problems for them. And so, well, for most of us, we're not going to get to that place because especially me, I'm too, I'm too damn inflexible, but, but there is a risk at the very extremes, I think with yoga that you can become hypermobile and that creates some stability issues with running, which can cause injury. Yeah, there's probably extremes to almost everything we've talked about that you could, you know, you could <laughs> yeah. go too hard in the weight room and do something silly in there. And and you're definitely right. I mean, runners don't need to be super flexible. You know, we're not gymnasts or acrobats or we're not doing any of that kind of stuff. And it, I think it's very interesting that almost all injuries happen within the normal range of motion. So this idea that, oh, if I'm more flexible, if I have an enormous range of motion, then I'm going to be more protected from injury. Well, it's just not really supported by the data. You know, runners are getting hurt during a normal range of motion. And, and that's because of loading issues. We're loading our tissues inappropriately. And, and that comes down to a strength. That's a strength problem. If your tissue can be loaded uh, and you have the strength to load it, then you're probably not going to get hurt. So, yeah, we don't have to focus on flexibility too much. And the hypermobility of some, you know, yoga practitioners, yeah, they should they should just be aware of that uh, because we don't want to be too we don't want to be too mobile or flexible. It can actually hurt our running. A couple final questions as we wrap here. One, hopefully quick. This is switching gears away from from talking about strength and training for a second to talking about podcasting. Do you have a favorite guest or guests or recent favorite? I'm just curious. Uh, his name is Chris McLung. He <laughs> delivered an absolutely phenomenal performance on the Strength Running Podcast. <laughs> nice. Nice. Oh, Chris. Nice. I feel like well played. All my guests are like my children. I can't choose a favorite. <laughs> I love them all. They each bring such a unique skill set to the podcast. I, I will say I've had... I've had a bunch of really great conversations recently. I'll give a shout out to Peter Bromka, who's a uh, almost elite runner. He's 40 seconds away from qualifying for the Olympic trials. Uh, when he started as a 256 marathoner about six years ago or so. And he just has such an interesting perspective on the marathon. Uh, and I think I interviewed him in episode 94 or 95. Uh, I also had an awesome conversation with Dina Castor, who's arguably one of the, you know, most dominant women runners in the United States over the last couple decades. And she just has a very measured perspective on running and the mental side of training that I loved hearing her stories and how her psychology has evolved over the years to uh, help her, you know, stay competitive and to get more out of herself. So, you know, just you know, a couple of recent ones that, that really uh, resonated with me were those two, but I love them all. I love it. Tina's book is awesome. If you haven't read it already, let your mind run, go get it. 
I also chatted with her as well on my podcast back last August, which was fascinating discussion. Where can people find out more if they want to learn more about strength running, find the routines that you mentioned, give us the quick spiel. Sure. So strengthrunning.com is kind of my home base where I have all of the different routines that I mentioned. So, you know, all the different strength routines, the core stuff, the warm up routines are all on strength running. I think if you just, uh, you know, search on the blog, you know, a warm up routine or strength workout, you'll get to a lot of those different options for you. If you want to really learn more about strength training and kind of dive into these topics more, we have uh, an email series at strengthrunning.com slash strength. And then, you know, there's the strength running podcast. If you want to come and check out uh, my interview with Chris, which was amazing, then it's right there on the podcast. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've done as many episodes as you have. We're, we're just shy of 100 so far. So I'm, I'm excited <laughs> yeah. to hit the triple digits. Yes. Congrats on that milestone. And thanks for joining me, Jason. This has been a fascinating and informative discussion. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Chris. It was my pleasure. Jason Fitzgerald, everyone. Thanks to Jason for joining me. I appreciate that for sure. Hopefully you learned something about how to either tweak the training you're already doing or to incorporate strength if you're not already. I think one thing is certain that there is a place for strength training in every runner's program and you just have to figure out how it fits. So hopefully listening to this was a start on that journey for you. Thanks, of course, to all of you for listening. As always, you can check me out at roguerunning.com or follow on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.